Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi there, it's Caroline Foran from Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please do follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. The sooner we all get on board with these measures, the sooner we will be all together again. While you're staying at home, here's a recommendation for another great podcast for you to listen to. I think we need a bit of comic relief more than ever, so why not try the Two Johnnies podcast, available on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to a Everything is Black and White podcast special with me, Sean McCormick. I'm joined here by John Gibson, former Chronicle writer and former Gateshead owner. We're going to have a little special episode today about Gateshead and uh, kind of John's um, history with the club as a fan, as an owner and as a journalist as well. So obviously a lot of fans and a lot of people will know you, uh, Gibbo, is a Chronicle writer who's called Newcastle United for a lot of years, but Gateshead's got a special place in your heart as well. Always has. Um, when I was a kid, I was brought up in Benwell, which is the west end of Newcastle. And um, we didn't have too many pennies to rub together in those days as a, as a family. Uh, I, was football, I was always football obsessed. Um, quite amazing, really, because I, while all my mates in Benwell, when I was a little kid, five, six and seven, wanted to play for Newcastle United, I wanted to write about Newcastle United. I never wanted to play for them. And I used to have scrapbooks that I kept and put pictures in and used to write little stories about them and all that sort of thing. And my uncle, my uncle Frank, used to take me to the matches, Newcastle United match. Now, we didn't have any money, so we walked there. So I walked from Benwell. I lived on Adelaide Terrace in Benwell. Walked from Benwell all the way along, a couple of miles, three miles, to the big lamp down to St James's Park and watch Newcastle. Now, if I couldn't afford to get the bus uh, to watch Newcastle, I certainly couldn't go to watch them away from home. So when Newcastle were away, I used to walk over Redhoof Bridge down to Redhoof Park and watch Gateshead play in the old 3rd Division North. So um, very convenient because there were both Tyneside clubs playing in black and white. Um, so one week I watched Newcastle United, the next week I watched Gateshead and it was the wonderful Gateshead side um, that had people like uh, Johnny Ingham and the, the Callender brothers and Bob Gray and Goal and um, you know really quality players above that level to be truthful um, then funny enough when I was a kid making my name at the Chronicle or trying to make my name at the Chronicle uh, when I was at the Chronicle a lot of people don't realise to think I was at the Chronicle from 1966 covering Newcastle United which is absolutely true but that's when I come back from Fleet Street uh, but I'd been on the Chronicle prior to that started on the Hexham Covent then come to the Chronicle down table uh, covering non-league football and it was the season Gateshead had just gone out the league right? Yeah. and um, I covered Gateshead so having supported them as a kid alongside Newcastle I then started my reporting at the Chronicle by reporting on Gateshead when in those days uh, 
Charlie Ferguson was the manager and then he gave away. Bobby Mitchell, who was the Newcastle United legend, yeah. won the cup in the 50s, was the player manager of Gateshead. And I always remember we went to Darlington in the FA Cup. Gateshead is a non-league part-timers and won 4-1 with Mitch turning it on. We went up to Carlisle in the next round with 3-1 up. Lost 4-3. Huey McElmore scored a hat-trick against Gateshead. Um, but there were, there were wonderful days to... Um, to cut my teeth and when I came back to cover Newcastle United from Fleet Street and cover the World Cup which which I did um, and Olympic Games as it happened I often thought I spend a lot of the time telling clubs how they should be run as a journal as a hack yeah. in the paper criticising Newcastle United directors if I felt the criticism was necessary or applauding them if they did something right etc etc and I thought well if you've got, if you do that, you ought to have the courage to put your money where your mouth is. So how about trying to actually run a football club? You're, you're full of how a football club should be run. How about trying to run it? Because the chance came to buy Gateshead. Um, and I had helped John Hall at, that, at this stage to take over Newcastle United as part of the Magpie Group. Uh, which sparked off Kevin Keegan and the entertainers. And in gratitude for the part uh, I had played in that, which, uh, along with the paper, was quite enormous, John said, if you do buy it, I'll be a main sponsor. I'll sponsor the club. Now, with that sort of backing, that was Cameron Hall Developments, John Hall's company, uh, I bought the club off Gateshead Council. And I actually bought it, it, it not for a pound, but I actually had to pay for the shares. Um, uh, so I bought it off the council. The council was a major shareholder at the time, but didn't want to be any longer. So I bought the club off them and installed Cameron Hall Developments as my major shareholder. And I owned the club for 11 years. And believe you me, I thought I knew a lot as a reporter, reporting on Newcastle United. But until you see the other side of the coin, until you go on the inside and see all the parts that never make uh, the public domain, uh, whether that is negotiating transfers and transfer fees, whether it's dealing with players' problems, personal problems in their life, which is affecting their football, whether it's dealing with trying to get sponsors, um, trying to deal with the council who owned the ground, etc etc until you start doing all that you really haven't got the full concept of, of what football's all about so and at the same time as I was running Gateshead I was reporting for the Chronicle and I, I was spending days well getting in at six seven o'clock in the morning in the Chronicle in because it was the evening Chronicle that was produced in the evening and I would work until about four and at four o'clock, I'd go straight over to the international stadium because we were part time to meet yeah. the players and the manager coming in for training that night, etc., etc. Loved it. Did it for eleven years. Um, I didn't get like this through having a, looking like this through having a, a, a long paper run, a <laughs> paper round. I got like it through trying to run a football club and work for the Evening Chronicle at the same time. I loved it, and and I have great memories of my time with Gateshead. So it was a club I'd supported. I, I mean, Newcastle United are my number one club. Let's not 
get away from that. There's no question about that whatsoever. But I'd followed new, I'd, I'd supported Gateshead from the terraces as a kid. I'd reported on them on my early days in the Chronicle, and then I owned them for eleven years. I'm still the life president, so I think I've been tied pretty close to Gateshead for an awful long time. And that eleven years have brought up some fabulous memories that I that I treasure. Um, and I look back, we we had a terrific side at one time. We were always part-time when I was in the club, not full-time as the club are now. Uh, and we played against sides that were full-time in the conference, yeah. not as many as now full-time, but a lot of sides were, especially those coming down from the Football League. In my years, only the top team got promoted, and initially that was it. Yeah. Then we started... Uh, playoff for the second or third play, but it, it didn't go down to the depth the playoffs are now. And I remember being not, uh, being part-time in taking dates at the finish, fifth top, part-timers against full-timers, which these days would have put us in the playoffs, but in those days didn't when Colin Richardson was manager and we had a wonderful side with people like Proudlock, Paul Dobson, was the top goal scorer in the in the whole of the conference. Yeah. Two successive seasons won the Golden Boot. We had Kenny Lowe, who was a phenomenal player uh, around those sides. I mean, one of my great memories, uh, Sean, to be truthful, was with our goalkeepers, because in my time I signed three goalkeepers that I'm particularly proud of, uh, or I had three play for me, two I signed, Steve Harper signed on loan from Newcastle United uh, when he was a young up-and-coming keeper to play for Newcastle. I signed Steve Sherwood, who played in goal for Watford in the FA Cup final um, when Elton John was in the um, Royal Box, if you remember, and burst into tears on the uh, on the national anthem, etc., etc. He came and played for me, and when I first took over the club, the goalkeeper I inherited, who made a record number of appearances for Gateshead, was Simon Smith, who's the Newcastle United goalkeeping coach right now. Yeah. Um, and I always remember getting Steve Harper. It was lovely. Um, the reason I got him is because Kevin Keegan, in the great years of the entertainers with Newcastle, um, at one stage packed in the reserves, decided that he was pulling the reserves out of the Central League for whatever reason, we weren't going to have a reserve side. I immediately realised that that was going to leave an awful lot of young players without games to play, competitive games to play, because he was arranging the odd friendly. So I asked KK if I could sign Hopper because I needed a goalkeeper. I met him at Washington Services, just on the A1 there, um, did the deal. He come and played for me a couple of months, three months. We used to pick him up there and he lived down at Easington, we'd pick him up in the team coach, he would come on the coach with a load of um, DVDs, etc. Elvis Presley used to put on there on the, on the team coach <laughs> to listen to the records when we used to go and play away. And so I always said afterwards, yeah, Gibbo had two goalkeepers playing for Gateshead, they played in FA Cup finals. Steve Sherwood, they played in the FA Cup final for Watford, and Steve Harper, who played in the FA Cup final for Newcastle, after playing for us, of course. And uh, Simon Smith, of course, from the start. So happy, happy days with Gateshead. And um, when it was time to get out, and um, you can only plough on for so long being King Canute trying to turn the tide back, 
uh, with a club like Gateshead, with its limited support, wonderful, wonderful support, as loyal as the day is long, but just not enough of them, um, with limited support and the desperate need for sponsorship and to be able to compete wages-wise with clubs that have got 6,000 average gates, etc., in the conference. Uh, 11 years, I had a give way, um, when that happened, because I lost my sponsor, my main sponsor, I t- it was Graham Wood. I made an appeal for somebody to take over Graham Wood, who did take over the club and did so well and took them to Wembley in the playoffs. Had a lot of talks with me to take over the club. I'd known Graham when he was vice chairman of Sunderland to Bob Milley. What I didn't know was he was Gates of Bone, yeah. uh, which he was and was a Gates of fan. So he was the perfect fellow to take over for me, which um, he did very quickly afterwards uh, and did ever so well. And then his cycle came to an end and sadly it's been a bit tough going since. I mean, you mentioned um, FA Cup finals there with your goalkeepers, Gibbo. Mm. Um, I mean, when you look back at your spell as well, obviously they had a bit of a run to the second round as well. Yeah. It was in 2000. I mean, where does that oh. rank in terms of your, your yeah, time against Yeah, wonderful, wonderful time because uh, I've always been a fan of the FA Cup because I was brought up in Newcastle United when I was a little lad winning the Cup three times in five years in the 50s. Yeah. So I've always been an FA Cup guy and I always wanted to get Gates into the FA Cup from the qualifiers. And um, yeah, we 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 made it into the um, the FA Cup first round. Uh, this particular season, we, we went in two or three times, but this particular season, in the first round, we played Halifax Town away. Uh, they were at that stage in the football league. You know, they're yeah. out of the league now, but they were a football league club playing at the Shea, the famous ground, etc., etc. And they were managed by. Paul Bracewell, who had been one of the entertainers at Newcastle United and then yeah. went and played at Sunderland. And then as a journalist, I'd got to know him not only as a player at Newcastle, etc., etc., but um, when I used to go down on the odd day when I wasn't covering Newcastle to see Sunderland, Peter Reid, who was a good mate of mine, despite being Sunderland manager. <laughs> and, and of course, Brace was his number two, so I knew him there. And he got the, the Halifax job. And then um, we went down to play Halifax in the FA Cup and of course I went with the team in the first round. On the day, Newcastle were playing Sunderland in a derby match at St James's Park. And uh, we went down there and we beat Halifax with a team of part-timers, beat a football league club at the football league ground. We got a um, result of the, of the round from the Football Association. We beat them 2-0. Um, we were locked out of the, either by accident or design, and you might gather which I think it was. <laughs> we were locked out, they were rebuilding at the Shane. We were locked out of our dressing room at half time. We were 1 nil up. We miraculously found we couldn't get in our dressing room at half time, and we had to go and sit in the gym on the weights and hold a half time talk. And there, the half time talk took care of itself, I might tell you, yeah. when that happened, and we went out and beat them 2 0. And I always remember after the game, and I had the gates at badge on, etc., etc., and I was in the director's room, obviously, the greatest moment in my time with Gateshead. Um, and in walked Paul Bracewell as the manager of Halifax, 
and he had to come across, shake my hands and say, congratulations, Mr. Chairman, which I thought was nice because he used to, it used to be bracing Debo and then, of course, when he was number two to Reedy. Um, and I got a huge cheer when the result come up at St. James's Park in the press room of all the press lads because Brace was associated by then, bless him, with Sunderland, yeah. more than with Newcastle. And on Derby Day, I had beaten the Sunderland guy in the cup. I came back to New to Newcastle just to finish off the story, got off the team coach, said to anybody on the team coach, come on, follow the chairman, we're going to Newcastle and celebrate. So I charged into Newcastle, charged into a restaurant, burst open the doors, walked in, I was carrying a bottle of champagne to, to order to have a drink, and ahead of me was a table full of about 15 guys, all in black and white striped scarves who were Newcastle fans, and my blood ran cold because Newcastle had lost at home to Sunderland yeah. that afternoon in the derby, and I'm walking in as if I've won the FA Cup at Wembley, and I went straight across and said, hey, lads, I'm sorry. I know uh, I apologise for it. And they said, Gibbo, don't worry. You tucked up Sunderland when you beat Brace. Uh, and, and they were great about it. And Brace is a lovely man, by the way. I'm not having to go with Brace. But it was just a special moment. We went to Cambridge in the next round. Um, got well beaten. The manager was Crosby. Uh, Mountain Crosby. Yeah. Uh, Swindon, sorry. Cambridge is a British Swindon. It was uh, Mountain Crosby. And everybody I'd known at Sunderland, Dave Smith, and uh, loads of people were were in that dressing room. Um, and that wasn't our finest day of the year before. We'd played Cambridge away. We always got thrown away. We never played a league side at home in my yeah. uh, we, we played Cambridge away with Roy McFarland, the old Derby County, the uh, Cluffy's big centre-half, England centre-half. And uh, I felt he let himself down that day because he helped get Fletcher, our centre-forward, centre-off. Uh, by making a song and dance on the touchline of a tackle. And I mean, Fletch couldn't tackle the paper back. He was a centre forward. It, it was nothing malicious. In. And we lost 1 0. That's all we lost 1 0. And he came in afterwards and said sorry to the boys. And I just said, you know, second word was off. It's, it's no good coming in saying <laughs> sorry to the boys now. We've lost and you're through. Um, but in the main, wonderful, wonderful memories with Gateshead. Um, and memories nobody can take away from me and I had some outstanding players in Paul Proudlock and, and, and Dobson and Kenny Law and Kenny Crammon as well as the goalkeepers I've mentioned uh, happy happy times which is why I get both sad and angry when I see Gated in its current situation This is Acast Recommends Every week we pick one of our favourite shows And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, you mentioned the current situation there. Obviously, 
<clears throat> it's been a tough one for Kita this season. Oh. Um, a lot of troubles. I mean, just off the top of my head, you think they've had a, a transfer embargo. They've sold a number of key players. They've lost Steve Watson, who was doing so well at the start of yep. the season. Yep. Um, last week, players, uh, players got their wages paid late. Um, a multitude of problems at Gator. And I mean, looking at it now, it must, as you say, it must really kind of boil oh, your blood. I mean, it, it destroys me because they have remained very close to my heart. And, um, you know, Newcastle United fans, of which I'm one, have readily complained about Mike Ashley in certain policies, in terms of uh, recruitment, in terms of supporting the manager, etc., etc. But what happening? What is happening just across the water? It uh, the international stadium locked out of the international stadium by our match days, of course, uh, is fear, fearful. I mean, first, I cannot understand why the current owners bought the club because they've just run down a grand little club in record time and humiliated it. Uh, have. I don't know what was in it for them. I know what is in it for the Gateshead fans, yeah. and that is a life in hell. Uh, that's what's in it for the Gateshead fans, and that's what's in it for the... When you think that the players of a football club and the staff came out with a statement as hard as their statement was, the official statement, blaming the management for everything that happened and asking them and demanding them to sell up as quickly as possible. To make a stand like that is quite unique. I would have been humiliated in my time to have got anywhere near that sort of situation. I cannot understand what has happened and why it's happened so quickly and why they wanted the club in the first place because all they've done is damage it almost beyond repair. And what worries me is that if they don't get the club sold quickly and we get to the end of season without a manager in the situation long term, with players' contracts up, with the same ownership in place, what will be the National League's response to that situation? Can they allow Gateshead under the same management to start next season and believe that they will be able to see it through financially to its conclusion? It is worrying and this club does not deserve to go at the wall and their supporters do not deserve it to go at the wall. But somebody somewhere has got to do something to stop it. And it's not just will somebody buy it. They've got to be allowed to buy it, as people who have tried to buy it, including the Watchdale guy, has found out. Of the, there's got to be a willingness to sell. And what is hidden beneath the surface in terms of um, financial the debts or what is being demanded? It is the most worrying time, personally. What has happened on the field has been magnificent. Yeah. Of course, results have tailed away now. They ought to have tailed away when when... Steve Watson left. Yeah. Uh, a good, good friend of mine, done a terrific job here. I don't know Ben Clark, but he's done a terrific job in following on from that. The players deserve medals the size of frying pans for the, the work they've put in, the dedication and the level they've kept. But this ain't going to happen automatically for the rest of time. It needs solving quickly. And if Newcastle United needs solving quickly, and it does then Gateshead 
on a smaller scale, but it matters just as much to the players of Gateshead, just as much to the fans of Gateshead, as it does at Newcastle. That has got to be sorted too. Pray God this club is not allowed to go under administration or to be thrown out of the of the league because the the league don't believe they can meet the criteria for next season, etc., etc. This club needs resurrecting and needs resurrecting quickly and the owners could do themselves as well as everyone else a favour by selling up double quick and please leave. I mean it is an extraordinary situation but I mean a word for the fans as well because obviously you've, you've mentioned it quite a few times um, during Absolutely. this conversation Gibble, how, how much the fans um, blew you away during your time as a No ownership. question about that whatsoever. And I mean now of course, they're, they're, they're paying for players' meals. Um, they're, they're taken to the streets to protest. They're doing everything they can to kind of, you know, keep Gateshead afloat, essentially. Yeah. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Gateshead have always had the smallest support in, in terms of numbers. And I often go into the situation that it's all to do with the international stadium, which is nothing like a football stadium, etc., etc. But let's not worry about that at the moment because we've got bigger fish to fry. But the Gateshead fans are the most loyal fans you could wish to have because they've supported without success, as you could say in Newcastle United, but, they, but a club at that level. Um, with Without success, without great encouragement... But they've been there, come hell or high water. And now they're watching a club they proudly support be obliterated by people that have got no... that haven't got Gateshead in their heart, either because they belong to this area or because they're football-obsessed or because they're just fans themselves. They haven't got that situation. And it is absolutely tragic. And what is tragic about it is that time is running out so quickly that if we don't find an answer before this season ends, I fear the worst forgets it. And as far as I'm concerned, the current owners have got to own up to the responsibility, look in the mirror, see what they see, not like it, and say, I'm going to do not the honourable thing, because it's beyond that, but I'm going to do enough to be able to allow this club to exist when I go. Do they, will they feel any better if the club is finished when they go out the door and they've got to switch the light off as they leave? I would hope not. Do the honourable thing, gentlemen. Sell up as quickly as you can and do not put obstacles in the way of a new buyer. Do not expect new buyers to mop up your mess. Give them a chance. And just going back to your time when you sold up to uh, to Graham Wood, I mean, it's a completely different situation because you're saying there they need to do the honourable thing and kind of, you know, let the club go on, I guess. I mean, yeah. you mentioned there that you lost your sponsor and, you know, it, it was mm. becoming a struggle to kind of keep it going day to day, but then you sold it to somebody who what, had the best yeah. intentions at heart. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, what I did, I lost my sponsor mid-season which is the worst time in the world. I always said to sponsors, if at all possible, leave me at the end of a season. So I've got all summer to find new sponsors, etc. Leave me in the middle of the season 
and the checks are going to stop coming in, etc., etc. I've got major problems. Uh, I knew I had major problems. I knew I had to get out because I hadn't deep enough pockets myself, and I had, you know, put money into the club as much as I could yeah. from personal. Uh, so I went back to rely on my friends, and two of my friends did the most magnificent thing possible for me, which was Alan Shearer and Paul Gascoigne. You can't get greater names in football than them. And they both put on gigs for, for me to raise money, save Gateshead. Alan Shearer at St James's Park didn't charge one penny to put on a show when he could charge anything yeah. he likes because he was a superstar, still playing for Newcastle at the time. And Paul Gascoigne, who was still playing near the end of his career in Burnley in that at the time, Gates had born, put on a do at the Lancastrian suite, didn't charge a penny. Both places were packed out to see him. I paid off every single Gates of debt there was in the club at that time. Didn't leave with the club own a penny. Yeah. And Graham just had to pay a minuscule fee to, to, to me to cover something else in my in the past and the club was his and I knew I left it in great hands because yeah. this was a football man and it was a gated man and he ran the club magnificently in his time there and it must be hurting Greenwood as much now yeah. to see what's happening as it's hurting me I mean actually Graham, I was at the game on Saturday yeah. and Greenwood, and Greenwood came in there, and got a stand ovation from, the, from the crowd I mean obviously still held in massive regard from the fans and obviously totally um, so and quite rightly so yeah. I mean, quite rightly so. Going back to when you were supporting Gateshead as a kid, I mean, obviously they were kicked out of the football league. Yeah. Under Graham's tenure, they came so close, of course, to, to returning to the football league. I mean, you're still kind of an honorary president at Gateshead now. I mean, that must have been immensely proud for you looking on seeing oh. Gateshead at Wembley. Oh, I mean, to a great extent, I, I couldn't believe it because it didn't like things don't happen to Newcastle United, they don't happen to Gateshead. Yeah. Uh, and really, they, they played Cambridge in the final, um, in the final of the playoffs. And they were so close to, yeah. to, to going. That was the key. You know, you look at key moments and say, if only it had been the other way around, how life would have been different. You look yeah. back at Newcastle United and say, if only they'd won the Premier League when they had 12-point lead against Manchester United and they just got if we'd won the Premier League the history of Newcastle United from then on in would have been totally different if Graham Wood had taken Gates back into the Football League when they were in the playoff final I'm certain life would have been completely different uh, Graham wanted to move New uh, Gates out of the international stadium yeah. to their own ground uh, that might well have happened under different circumstances. He had the ground board, etc., etc. It didn't happen. It might have happened. If it had happened, because if Gateshead were going to be a football league side, they had to get away from the international stadium. Yeah. That is one thing that was never in their favour. I filled the international stadium once, but I did it by bringing Newcastle United's Kevin Keegan side over to <laughs> yeah. for pre-season friendly, which was the first game on Tyneside Newcastle United's new signings, Les Ferdinand and David Ginola, had played on Tyneside. That was their debut. Yeah. And once, through John Hall, of course, with friendship with me, that he sent the crossing, and it was the first team, 11,750 was the crowd, 
um, still stands as gets its record, yeah. uh, and it will because until the, the ground's bigger. Um, but it was all uh, we had my usual six hundred, and the rest of them were Newcastle United <laughs> fans to see Ferdinand and Ginola for the first time. Um, but yes, Gates need to find you. That's for another day. They need to find a new ground, etc., etc. But they need to find a saviour. They need to find another Graham Wood. They, all right, another John Gibson to a certain extent. I did eleven years there, but I was in quite a unique situation. Um, uh, had friends in the backing that could sponsorship that could happen to me, etc., etc. I didn't have the deep enough pockets. But even Graham's deep pockets, you know, he had a subsidised gates for so long and he did it so well and was yeah. so willing to do it that, you know, football makes billionaires millionaires and makes millionaires the same as me and you. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore you can only do it for so long unless the t the financial tide turns through getting into the league or whatever it may be. Um, but Gates would need another Greenwood. And please, God, if there's a man in heaven, and let him smile this summer on Newcastle United and on Gates. Both clubs deserve that. And Jodies really want that double up. I certainly do. And just finally... Um it seems Chris Dunphy and Bill Goodwin, who are the guys who had owned Rochdale yeah. um, for a number of years, are the men who the supporters have thrown their weight behind in, to to become the, the new owner of Gateshead. Obviously, they've suffered a few delays in trying yeah. to get the exclusivity agreements sorted and what have you. But, I mean, these are guys who have got experience of a, of a local community club like Rochdale, similar to Gates, I suppose, in terms of stature and in terms of bigger clubs around them. You've been here and you've done it. What would your advice be to any new owner coming into the gate, sir? Well, first of all, clench your teeth because it's going to be a bumpy <laughs> ride. There's, that is, and I'm talking about financially, I'm yeah. not talking about on the field. Um, you see, that, that's a big difference between... You come into Newcastle United, you've got 52,000 supporters every yeah. week. They're as big as any club in the country in terms of bums on seats. Yeah. You come into Gates, they're as small as any club in the conference in terms of bums on seats. So um, that's the problem they face. I, want, I don't think the current owners can have known what the situation is at Gates is I've taken much notice uh, of what the situation is at Gates because to come in and say we need 2,000 every week yeah where do they think they're going to get the 2,000 from unless they get success and build a club up slowly towards that I hope that that Mr Dumfrey uh, or anyone else that comes into Gates not only looks at the books and realises what the Gates are and, what the, and the potential and the problem of Newcastle being so close to, to a great extent, Gates it's a dormitory for Newcastle in terms of football. Yeah. All, all the, the football fans in Gates are Newcastle United fans yeah. as well. Um, Realise the size of the problem, have the willingness and the ability to build the club up slowly, which is what Graham Wood did, to make it what it is or what it ought to be. It is a hard life to live in full-time football with Gates at, at the moment. It can be done. Graham Wood proved it. The players, bless them, have proved it this season. What the players have done this season isn't far short of what the miracle Leicester did in winning the Premier League. What what these players have done for Gates at this season. I mean, they had every reason to stack their hand, the players. Every reason to stack their hand. And so had the two managers, and to a certain extent... 
the chance came for Steve to get out, but he didn't get out last summer when he could have got out yeah. with a lot of the players. He stuck around when York City come in. He 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 had to go. He's he's a young man wanting to make his way. Ben Clark took up the baton. The players have been truly magnificent, uh, and that is part of the the tragedy of it. I hope the Rochdale guys can come in and come in realistically and come in with a plan because this club needs building slowly. It's had its moments of trials and tribulations. We don't need any more of that at all. We need to come in, stabilise the club, find a new stadium that is a football stadium, smaller, not with a track around it, and give Gateshead something to cling on to. Pray God, I've got my two clubs this summer. I'm going to live from day to day with both Newcastle United and with Gateshead. I want to end up in August smiling about both those clubs. I don't want to end up with a tear in my Well, here's hoping everything gets sorted at Gateshead. Thanks very much, uh, Gibbo. You've been a brilliant guest. I'm sure Gateshead fans will enjoy listening to your experience of the club. And as I say, here's hoping they get everything sorted and we can really push on again next season for some success but thanks very much for joining us guys we'll see you soon this is Acast Recommends every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love hello I'm Jeff Lloyd and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband a baby podcast that is It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.